Welcome, my dear Imperial Tutor members, to this episode of the Imperial Tutorial, just for you. On This one on a very juicy um, title, topic, dealing with Bing Qi while avoiding martyrdom. As a follow-up conversation to the Pebble in the Cosmic Pond podcast episode of this month on occupational hazards in Chinese medicine. Still in the wonderful company of our wise friend Michael Max, we dug deeper into this phrase, yi zhe, yi ye, usually translated as medicine is intention. We started out by exploring the dangers of unexamined focused attention, whether in medical practice or in meditation, because it can produce tension or stagnation in the practitioner. Then I got to ask Leo and Michael how they deal with bing qi, with the patient's disease qi in clinical practice, and how that might relate to traditional ideas around exorcism. Leo connected it to the Liu in the six pernicious influences, wind, cold, summer heat, dryness, dampness, and fire, and suggested to just neutralize it by following our core medical practices, drying dampness, cooling heat, moistening dryness, and so on. In the end, we returned to the need to be careful about not putting all our energy into saving or fixing the patient whether as the result of a power trip, inflated ego, or because of our martyr complex. So how can we avoid this martyr archetype, the temptation to sacrifice the self to serve the other? In a really unexpected turn, we finished up by again returning to our beloved Guanyin, um, the goddess of compassion, Avalokiteshvara, with her thousand hands and thousand eyes. I really loved where we ended this conversation on, so I hope you stick around to the end. Okay, we always look forward to your comments and responses, whether as personal emails or as a comment in the Pebble in the Cosmic Pond Facebook group. And I will be happy to forward anything to Leo. Let me thank you here once again for being a member of my Imperial Tutor Mentorship and for supporting my, my work in a really um, substantial material way. As always, I feel so lucky that I get to have these conversations. We listen to the recordings and then select passages from the historical texts to support or deepen whatever our conversations brought up for me through the weekly scrolls. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. Your financial support is what allows me to take the time to create these offerings and have all the software and hardware to organize and share the information with you all and in the public podcast. These conversations are important, I believe, as Leo and I and our collaborators explore the edges of our disagreements, questions, and confusions. We are not going for safe, feel-good chit-chat, as much as we do that, too, and try and keep it off the recording. Um, and it is fun, and it is really important, but we have real questions for each other and for all of you. Um, keep the comments coming. We love them. We do think of this setup as a multi... or We envision it. Our real dream is for this to be a multi-directional situation and not a one-way street. And it's, it's turning out that way. Thank you, dear Imperial Tutor members. Truly, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And without further ado, here's the conversation. 
So, so Leo, let's continue this conversation about the thing. I learned, I, I really appreciated our conversation and what I've learned from both of you. I love the idea of um, attunement. That 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 was a that was a that was a one of those wonderful contributions, Leo. You're just a wise person. So the the Ija conversation requires digging a lot deeper. So go for it. And I have a similar. I have my pet peeve about wrong translations is the um, the thing about uh, Suen Five, the quotation about Ben being being yin and yang, what is it? Being the root of, you know what I'm, heaven and earth being, mm-hmm. yeah. being, being, yeah. oh. Exactly. That's what you're thinking about. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's the same kind of thing where people pull it out of context and say, here we go. And, 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 and this is supposedly why Chinese medicine is this holistic thing. And you're always looking for the cause, whereas Western medicine look, just treats the symptom. And really the, the, that's not what the original said. The original, it, it, it so I can burst the bubble and be like, no, you're misreading the text. You're mistranslating the text. But really, the when you dig deeper, the original meaning is even bigger and even cooler and even more powerful because it's talking about yin and yang being the the the, the root of the medicine, the foundation of the medicine, which is even cooler than to treat disease, look for the look for the root cause. The, you know, it, anyway, the, the the cause and effect thing is is more of a modern Chinese medicine way of thinking about the world, whereas looking for yin and yang, treating or or, or considering harmonizing, balancing yin and yang as the as the foundation, as the root of treatment is. Is is even? I think it's way cooler and way deeper and way bigger and more powerful. Anyway, so well, you're you're kind of back to attunement with that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would like to explore the implication, the actual implication mm. in the in the clinician's body as they become sort of. Uh, they're using meaning I have to put my intention into my needling, into my twena, into this manual manipulation that I'm doing. What is the consequence of that by following that notion? What is the consequence of that to the the uh, the practitioner's body and the occupational hazard that follows from that way of practice? Because what we see often is that when people have this idea of putting the intention into the what they do, it is very similar in meditation as well, by the way. They will overdo it and they create unnecessary and extra tension in their musculature to represent to them 
what it means to put my intention into the point. This self-reflective and self-reflection exercise is seldom discussed. Everybody thinks putting intention into something is benign. Putting intention into something that cannot, nothing can go wrong with that. But nobody is examining how am I doing? How do I know I'm putting intention in my body? Nobody questions it. So the students actually picked up different type of body confirmation by thinking that they are putting intention into the point. But nobody actually, actually questioned, what does that mean? How do you know? Oftentimes, though, what I've mm. observed is excessive, extra, unnecessary tension in the practitioner's, practitioner's body. So it gives them the impression that they're putting intention and they're, they're moving their chi. I go so, so far as to say their body and their mind. Yeah. So, so almost the exact same thing happens in meditation. When, pra- when meditation or meditators are not aware of what they're doing to their mind and body when they are supposedly doing something, they're training or doing some methodology or protocol. Right? In the education of these protocols, in schools and in programs, there's actually very little space for self-reflection and self-correction and self-observation. I see that a lot in Twena, and I've heard a, uh, quite a few sort of enlightened teachers in Taiwan talked about that. Because this teacher, for example, Dr. Lin Liang Chuan, came from a long lineage of very accomplished uh, bone setters. Right. So, and when he started his career and over the decades, as he observed his students, he realized something, even in himself, that the bone setters usually have a lot of injury towards the end of their career. They die young. They don't do well in their 50s and 60s and 70s. So that, so he's, Dr. Lin is fond of saying, he says, there is a very bad an un, a tradition or habit in our tradition is that we sacrifice our own well-being for the sake of the patient. We put so much intention of fixing somebody. Let's not even talk about whether that fixing is effective or not. But in that intention and unawareness of what that fixing is doing to the practitioner's body, they accumulate a lot of tensions and injury and distortion to their structure. So that's what these informed opinion from well-practiced uh, clinicians tell us from Taiwan. Right? You look at this, say you, and I've seen it before in my, some of my teachers from mainland China. The guy is a superb bone setter. But he immediately he would tell you point blank that his neck is screwed up. His, you know, it's like, fix me, fix teacher. <laughs> you know, fix me. I'm all screwed up. He said, oh, that's so interesting. All these ten technicians in the process of healing and helping other people heal from their 
imbalance. They cre- they have created an imbalance into their own mind and into their own structure. Mind, I don't know, but structure is clear for all to see, and they, they didn't and even want to hide it, right? I remember Dr. Long said a similar thing, where one of his teachers was a special li- specialist in whatever. Let's just say gallbladder cancer or whatever, whatever, some kind of a special, very specialized thing. And he died from that at a young age. And Dr. Long mentioned that to the students several times that that there is a tendency that you that as the practitioner, eventually you you treat the same thing and you became you become famous for treating something over and over and over. And and eventually that will that will affect you. So what's the mechanism there? Yeah, Michael, do you have any comments? on? I've got a couple of thoughts. As we're having this conversation, talking about intention, practitioner using their intention, and people talk about it all the time. It's a very popular thing. Considered, like you were saying, Leo, a good thing. It's benign. We have good intentions for our patients. We want them to get better. Well, I I think we need to be very careful of a thing that I call the hazard of specialness. I made that patient get better. Mm. Patients say it to us all the time. You got rid of my back pain. And we say this all the time when we talk to each other. Oh, yeah, that patient, I got rid of their headaches. We got this thing where it's like, I did X, Y, Z. Our intention makes us special. Our work makes us special. Our success with doing it well makes us special, and I, and, and I, I think Thank it's you helpful for this, to be on Michael. guard against this because if I need to be special, if I need my patient to get better, so I feel good about myself, that's a burden my patient doesn't need, and it's a blind spot. Mm. I'd be best off investigating. I think we need to be on the lookout for this kind of thing. And I've got some qigong and I've got, you know, I've got this great intention and I can move some damn chi. Oh, I'm special. That I would say be very cautious with that. The work we do is special. I think it's helpful to hold it in a place of neutrality. Like just observing it like you watch a cloud go across the sky. It's a beautiful cloud. Oh, Michael Mack like, so... slid that needle in. That was pretty badass. That went really well. That was just, ooh, just right in. Just, ah, just right. Ah, great. But, and just leave it at that. Ah, yeah, good. On today. This is so relevant for fertility work. You know, when people talk about, oh I've heard. Oh my God, yeah. People talk about they, and, and this is some, there, there are people, Chinese medicine practitioners, who teach Chinese medicine, who teach their students to call in the hun and the poor and the different perspectives, the different constituents of the fetus's soul. And there are there are Taoist cultivation texts that talk about in this month, this the hun come in and this month it's the poor and all this stuff. And it is not traditional Chinese medicine. It's Taoist self-cultivation of creating the fetus of immortality in the body of the practitioner. So it's never used in that way where 
an outside, a second person is bringing the spirit of the fetus into the pregnant woman's body. It's meant for it, the, the original source is one of self-cultivation where the cultivator in visualization exercises is bringing that and it's a it's a it's a visualization meditation of creating the fetus of immortality inside a male body so it's completely different it's a religious context it has nothing to do with real pregnant women and real fetuses and yet i get students all the time that ask me about this and it is so offensive to me this language and the first time i came across it there that that people Fertility practitioners, they have walls up of the and and the language that they use and that they brought that fetus into the world, that they made that pregnancy happen. And it's it's like it, the first time I came across that, I thought it was just just I was really taken aback because I've never seen that language in classical Chinese, in, in the traditional Chinese literature, this idea that a practitioner can bring in the fetus, can call in a pregnancy or something. It's like, are you kidding me? That's well, so bizarre. I, I think we can be good gardeners. We can husband a forest. We can help cultivate and nourish an ecosystem, you know, of our patient's body and their spirit. And then it's up to them to do that work, right? I, I, I mean, my concern also with, like, I've got an idea what this patient needs. Maybe it's not what the patient needs. Maybe the patient needs something else. I've got an idea. Sometimes I might be right, too. But often enough, I'm probably wrong. So can I create the conditions and circumstances for the patient to be open to and receive what it is that they need from that treatment? Not that I'm guiding it creating the space for it. The patient knows what they need. Their chi knows. Their zheng chi, their shen, knows what's needed. And if I happen to have nailed it right in my own mind, okay, that's nice, but number one, it's not necessary. And number two, it's none of my business. I feel like I just let the air out of everybody's balloon. It's always okay to pause a little bit. That's a beautiful pause. <laughs> and bursting <laughs> bursting balloons is is unfortunately kind of what what what. And I uh, I Sabina, see my you... role. And but I want to come back, Leo, to your what I'm interested in is is now you just explain to us how this how it is wrong to use that particular phrase in the the eja yeah in this it, it that's taken it out of context point really important point but at the same time there are passages in the naging that talk about the importance and i believe we've had some podcast conversations about this the importance of the great physician as opposed to the 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 regular gong the regular artisan the regular worker the great physician uses the shen and sometimes it's e and then it is shen the spirit 
Ah, so there, there, yeah. there is something where the high-level practitioner works with the shun. I think it's better framed as the, in in the specialized context. The most effective place to work with is the shen, and then we have to contextualize what that shen is in the Neijing. Okay, because here's another in a, a very common pitfall, a, a trap. We all assume right now in every listener's mind, we know exactly what the shen is in <laughs> Chinese medicine. <laughs> so therefore. This notion of shen applies equally accurately across all times and all literature in Chinese medicine. Mm. I would mm. like to challenge that. It's actually not. We, ha- in fact, it would be a worthwhile project to go back to the Neijing and then do a lexical analysis, meaning we we build a new dictionary mm. for the Neijing and what, how many different shades of shen. Means in mm-hmm. you know, for example, in a passage they would say, uh, "You will know the shen." You say, "Zhi qi, lai fu." The the coming and the going of the shen. How do you know that? You look at the eyes. There's not something ethereal about the shen. You mm-hmm. look at the eyes. The mm-hmm. eyes will tell mm-hmm. you the coming going of the shen. So that shen has to be contextualized in that, right? And then mm-hmm. there's another passage that says, uh, if you know how to zhi shen, you know how to treat the shen, then san bu jiu hou, bu bi chun yan, all of a sudden the pulses mm-hmm. are not important at all, right? Or sometimes they say the zhi is the most important, but in very specific context. And I think like part for, of that is that... The the Neijing talks about this really, really high-level practice. And I think we tend to just assume that we're going for this high-level practice. And in fact, maybe that's inappropriate. You know, the way I hear you speak, Michael, is 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 more like I'm I'm just a I'm I'm just a regular doctor. I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. So I'm not going for immortality. I'm not a sage, you know. I think it's Suwen 2 or Suwen 3, maybe Suwen 1, where it talks about the four levels of the highest level are the sages. And they're like they're they're like living completely removed from from human reality. So that's not the level that any of us are living in. So we shouldn't, like there's a certain arrogance when people read the Neijing and they think that we're all going for this highest level of practice when it is like the fourth level down are the paragons of virtue who who actually reside in the human realm and deal with, with other human beings. You know, you know the passage I'm talking about. Well, I the the the, the, I don't the, know the and specifically. The yeah, but what I'm familiar with is, again, we have these kind of archetypes. We have these images like, "Oh, I want to be a master. I want to be. I want to work at the level of spirit." 
right? I don't want to be like a regular doctor. I want to be, I'm going to be like level of spirit doctor, right? And the, um, how do I say this? It's like that other conversation that we had, right? Where we started off with Yangsheng. And you're like, oh, Michael Max, you know about dietetics and Yangsheng. And I'm like, not, I mean, a little, but I'm not that great <laughs> at it. Because I'm just kind of a common yard dog living my life. And You're not old enough yet. <laughs> Give I it another 30 years. <laughs> well, if I get there, that'd, be, that'd, that'd put me in my 90s then. At any rate, the idea of, um, again, how do I say this? I'm, I'm, I'm losing the thought. You get into this etheric stuff. It's easy to go sideways for me. When I think about practicing medicine, I mean, it's a very nuts and bolts, hands-on kind of thing. It's one of the things I love about it. That I'm not up in my head a whole lot. I'm actually in my body. I'm doing my best to be present with a person in whatever way they happen to be. How can I gong some kind of resonance with them? You know? How can I strike some sort of, you know, vibrational sense that, that we're connected and, and so I can help them? And, and when I think about like the masters and the sages, I'm thinking, that's a lot of work. I'm not sure I want to work that hard. I just want to be like a journeyman practitioner, like good, solid, do a good day's work, get a good day's pay, enjoy your damn life, not be involved with medicine every waking moment. It's a, it's a piece of my life. It's not my entire being, but you know, that's just me. I mean, there are people that might want to be a very sage level kind of practitioner, I think we often hold up these images as this is what you're all supposed to be aiming at. Why not aim it like being a good cheap plumber? And I will add to that, and mm. and I would say, and this is something that maybe Sabina and I we can further investigate mm. mm-hmm. textually. Is this idea of merging the sage with the high-level practitioner? I don't mm-hmm. think that notion exists in the Neijing. There is the passage that talks about the cult self-cultivated ones, the sage level, blah, 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 the four levels. But then it is shang gong, zhong gong, and xia gong, the high-level, mid-level, and low-level practitioner. They, the Neijing doesn't merge those two ideas, Yeah. Shang Kong yes. is, is measured by efficacy. If and the Shang Kong is still in the human realm. So yeah. the, the so, chapters that talk about the sages, they are, that's a separate not the conversation. Same yeah. Yes. So it is so mm-hmm. interesting that in the West, in Western TCM circles, that has been merged. And then mm. the talk about using the shen to treat the shen and blah, blah, blah. And that's the high-level practitioner. I don't think so. That's not how the Neijing talks about it. Shanggong is measured by efficacy. One measurement is out of 10 patients, how many did you help? Yeah? What's your, bat- what's your batting average? 
Yeah, exactly. So I think sometimes without being ruthlessly textual, we very easily give in to these popular memes and notion that circulates. Mm. And you, when you really examine it with objectivity, and just like where is it in the text that it say that, then it starts to kind of dissolve away. It's like I can't find it. Isn't it's not in the text? But everybody speaks as if that is the notion. Somebody coming from the Chinese textual background, I just looked at these conversations with the utmost amazement and puzzlement. So where does it? Where in the Nanjing does it say that? But it's interesting how this brand, this framing, becomes such a powerful and seductive notion that nobody questions it anymore. Well, again, I I think some of this, and I'm speaking from experience here. That wanting and that desire to be special, to be something, to be special. I mean, acupuncture is a special thing. It's weird, first of all. It does amazing things. Acupuncture are kind of special people with very rarefied knowledge. Uh, but yeah, I I would say, for me. In my time of practice, one of the things that practice has taught me is to be a little less special. Because every time I start feeling like, "Oh man, I got something," watch this. Here, hold my beer. It <laughs> never <laughs> is helpful. And and to to somehow be able to be present with. Everything we have in us, but hold it lightly. Yeah. So we can be present to our patients. Yeah, that part mm. is. <laughs> yeah, that nice. That was present. a nice. That was really yeah. nice how you just put that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just speaking from experience here, and and like an idiot doing it wrong a lot. Right, but you stick with clinical practice long enough, it, it you know it can sand off some of those rough edges because mm-hmm. you're wrong and you got to look at it and go, oh man, spin cycle again. Yeah, what, what, and, what can I learn here? And I really appreciate what Max, uh, Michael, Max just said because there's so many ways you can look at the naging. And then you can fish out the things that conform to your flavor of the day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Instead of really looking at what the text says, because another notion of shen is a very practical one, like Michael said. Because another practical, so if you look at, I'm just from my recollection, they would say if you know one diagnostic method, then you're this. If you're you do two sets of diagnostic methods, then you are this. And if you know three, then it's shen. They're not talking about anything ethereal here. They're talking about if you have three sets of diagnostic systems mm-hmm. that can that can uh, improve the accuracy of mm-hmm. your diagnosis, then that is shen. Has that notion been introduced? In our Western TCM circles, zero. I, I, yeah, I've not it, heard it. Not of it, right? But it's there, right there. The, 
that's how what one of the meanings of shen is this. But Why? then because how would you, you appear- translate that? Because I know the yeah. passage you're talking about. When you when you a a like se, se is the appearance, right. the the colors, and then the mai. And yes, then exactly. th- the forearm chi, the forearm skin diagnosis. Another thing that has lost been lost in the history. So in the Neijing says, if you know all three, yeah. then that is the shen level of diagnosis. Okay, so how would you translate that? I don't know. Amazing, amazingly accurate. Because why is it shen? Because that's what would the patient's population exclaim. You're a miracle worker, they say. Because I've okay, referred okay. to yeah. 10 people and 9 out of those got better. Why? Because I don't have one set of tools. I have many tools. I have one mm. system, yeah. I have two systems, I have three systems, four systems that help me triangulate and increase the level of accuracy and diagnostic maybe much easier and better than the one person who only knows one trick. You know, I and have, actually, right? Elizabeth, so, Elizabeth Shu made this point a while ago that uh, um, the the tradition of Chinese medicine was actually partly to be a death diviner. Like that was such an mm-hmm. important aspect of medical practice yeah. is is not so yeah. much somebody who treats, but somebody who can divine, who can make a prognosis about whether somebody is going to die or not. Historically, so that that's goes with the with the correct. with the shen. That goes yeah, especially with that especially in the early uh, yeah uh, strata of like Chun Yi Yi and exactly. the Han Dynasty text. Exactly, it's, it's called Jue Sheng Si. Jue Sheng Si was a very very important skill mm-hmm. set for early mm-hmm. Chinese medical practitioners, and people will call that shen because you can tell the guy is going to die in three days. Forget about it. Stop the treatment. He's going to die in five days. Once he start puking, you know, y- yes. the porridge out. Yes. Why? Yeah. Because you can be so accurate with your prognosis that that is a also shen. And good for business. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't want to be treating people that are dying back then. It, yeah. You won't exactly. get very good reviews on... The Yelp of the time, right? Your, your social. No, seriously. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Social You're right. Actually, it's like, oh yeah, that. You know, yeah. they were treating that person. They died. Yeah, like don't go see them. So I right? think what we have tried to do is expand the semantics, semantic feel of Shen, to show mm. our listeners how many ways ancient Chinese use Shen. Not in the very narrow one meaning way that we were so accustomed to in Western TCM. Shen has many, many shades of meanings and way of usage in pre-modern China, especially in the early days. Right. We have even in the Neijing itself, there are many shades of Shen. I've got a friend who has Go ahead, Sabina. Go ahead. It reminds me of Ming, the the quality that is so important in early philosophy, this 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 illumination. I don't want to call it enlightenment because then it brings in the whole Buddhist stuff, which is mm-hmm. ahistorical. But this this clarity that you that you have an ability yeah. to to mm-hmm. to to see clearly, 
as as one of the the, the key skills to cultivate for any for any practitioner of anything. Yeah, we have a joke in you know in amongst the Chinese speaking practitioners. Is is do you want a Ming Shi or do you want a Ming Shi? Do you want a teacher of fame, Ming? Oh, right. Okay. Or mm-hmm. do you want a teacher that can illuminate the path for you? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the fame teachers are not necessarily the best teachers for you as a development as a clinician. Because the famed one might be skilled at marketing and branding and business management, and not really that good for guiding you to become a better and better practitioner as a teacher. So, do you want a mingshi or do you want a mingshi? They all—they are both pronounced the same in Mandarin. <laughs> a famed teacher and a. And an illuminating teacher. I pronounce the same way. So that's a joke amongst us. Our, our, it's funny, you know my and, my, and it's my very colleagues true. in Taiwan. Yeah, it's very true. When you think about a a doctor, if you want to be, if you want like, if you want to impress the neighbors, your little community that you live in, as a doctor, you have to come across as the expert. Hmm. That's how you yeah. get fame. That's how you get a name. You have certainty, and and I so appreciate Michael that you you bring this up in a lot of conversations. And I think your geological podcast does a really good job in featuring not just the people who have this presence of experts, but you are interviewing a wide range of practitioners. And I think the way you put it earlier, with if you if you have this this pre, this this conviction that you're right, it comes between you and the patient. You you put that so. You remember how I don't know if it was this conversation or the yeah. Well, one. it was about intention. It was really beautiful. You might have an intention. Oh, my patient needs this, and I'm gonna. Yeah. By God, I'm gonna give it to him. I'm gonna mainline it for him. Well, maybe that's not what they need. And it comes between you and the and, and, and again, the other I piece think, of it is the, yeah. the, the very other side of it, and there's several sides, it's multi-sided, is my need to be right, to feel okay as a practitioner, as a human being, mm-hmm. okay with myself. It's like, oh yeah, I'm right. I got that one right. You know, we fail a lot. It's rough. And you got to be able to, yeah. you got to be able to take that with some equanimity. I, I, I remember a, uh, a really wise rabbi saying to me once, you want to be standing in a place where applause and jeers equally both don't move you. That's so Buddhist. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that sounds right out of the, you know, the Chan tradition. It's all very Confucian, right? It, yeah, it, it confuses the, the guy was a Kabbalist. Okay, was... so yeah, yeah, but that's beautiful. Yeah, and also I think Michael and Taoist too. For, I mean, it doesn't get any more Taoist. <laughs> for me, that goes 
even one step further. It's not just for the clinicians, but for the teachers of clinicians. Because mm-hmm. so often we see this very charismatic teacher of that is being branded to the level of heaven of Shen, right? One who can do no wrong. I don't know if that's a prevalent thing in the Western world, but sure, we have those people in the Chinese-speaking world. These masters of masters, the guru, the guru thing. It's the guru thing. Yeah. So, and like Michael said, who can do no wrong? But but because they need to brand themselves as these amazing practitioners. Sometimes some of the glaring, most glaring fundamental mistakes are made, but never acknowledged, but covered over and ignored. Right? It, it becomes almost like a cult. Mm-hmm. So that happens too when somebody needs to be right—not just to be right, to be okay, but to be right so they can feed their ego. And consolidate this brand of being the master. And you know, people in our profession want that. Like I, I remember, and Do it they? comes from the. It comes from a really sweet spot. A lot of the times, I remember when I started teaching at the university in Portland, where the students wanted to adore me and put me on a pedestal. And I was coming from regular academia, and I'm like, what is this? This is so weird. No, I'm just Sabina. Thank you very much. And no, I don't know what this text is. I can be, I can be right. It may be this, or it may be this. And so how it's, fascinating students wow. really I, I think students in chinese medicine are different from students in a university in that they are looking for more than just a teacher of skills so it's a it's a two-way street well thank you for sharing the guru that thing i i it's wouldn't weird. have that perspective from the coming from the student, that's so fascinating to me, and it's very awkward. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Thank you very much. They could be somebody else, <laughs> because that but, can be very seductive. That can be very seductive. Yeah, no? yeah. Uh, and so, so there is. I mean, we shouldn't make excuses for that kind of behavior, but I think we have a environment where it it's. People are very gullible because there's so little we don't know. And, and if you don't know Chinese, as a teacher, you, if you know a little bit of Chinese, you can make up anything. And the students will take it as, as the word of God. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. I just said that in a three-day, you know, eight-hour-a-day seminar and I just threw that out there and and please that's don't take that as fact that's just Sabina saying something that's not the truth but people really I think don't you think so Michael in our field well I think there's also that when we're learning we don't know very much yeah and 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 we don't really have the enough information if we have critical thinking skills, to even use the critical thinking skills. I mean, let's say you, yeah. let's say you have some critical thinking skills. You need a certain amount of data to work with. And if you don't have critical thinking skills, 
And look, most of us have a modicum, but many of us are very emotionally driven. And it's easier to take what someone else said and say, oh, yeah, well, this authority said it, so I'll just take that and take it as uh, the way it is instead of investigating it. Investigating it takes a lot of time and effort. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it is all bad because sometimes as beginners and we're starting, having a charismatic teacher, having somebody who has mm-hmm. great faith and demonstrates mm-hmm. good skill is really helpful in that sense to get us started. You know, you, you believe in it, it works, you know, it's great. You know, it gives you that initial push and energy to get started. I, I don't, I don't want to say it's all bad. It's when, when, you know, you start to become a practitioner for a longer period of time and the earlier things no long, you realize it doesn't work all the time. The teacher mm-hmm, wasn't always mm-hmm. right. That's when, you know, further investigation and rethinking needs to happen. Yep. Spot on, Leo. I, I think there's a there's very much a developmental process mm-hmm. that goes on here. And in our in our learning, yeah, we need to trust our teachers and and grab what they're saying and build some kind of framework out of it to orient ourselves so that we can get started in, in, in our practices. You know, we build a structure, we build a framework. Ideally for learning. And it's the teacher's In job time to that's build scaffolding. to help you with that. <laughs> In time that scaffolding, it has to come down. And we're the ones who take it down through our experience of, you know, I've done this a number of times and it's just, that's just not where, I'm just not getting it. Mm-hmm. What else is happening here? Right? And, and you go through yeah. the spin cycle and, and work it out. I remember a, mm. one of my teachers, Dr. Shea, I love Dr. Shea, and she would always, she'd always admonish us in clinic that, well, you did all these yin points, do, do a couple of yang points to balance things out. And I would, for years I did that. Remember at one point, putting in a bunch of yin points and it's like, oh, this is exactly what this patient needs. Pulse was great, room felt good, their breathing changed, color's great, you know, the, everything. And, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm hearing Dr. Shea say, don't forget those yang points to balance <laughs> it out. It's, it, I've been in practice over 10 years. Dr. Shea is still in the back of my head saying, don't forget those yang points. And I caught it. It's like, oh, yeah, that was really helpful, but not in this situation here today. Mm-hmm. And here's why. You know, I could like describe for myself mm-hmm. why I didn't have to listen to Dr. Shea at that moment. And, <laughs> and that changed. This is how practices change things that we've taken as axiomatic because they're generally very helpful and they, and they keep you safe and your patients safe, Mm -hmm. but there's places where that's not so. And that comes through time and experience. Yeah. And And what Michael just described. Go for it. Yeah, please go ahead. So I was saying when you teach classical Chinese where I, I teach rules and 
you know, I teach that yeah is the end of a sentence. It's a topic comment sentence. So you look for the topic and you look for the comment. And then all of a sudden, yeah is in the middle of the sentence. So it's a topic marker, even though we learned je as the topic marker. And then, and then as you get better, you learn that sometimes you translate yeah as a in regards to this topic, it is a case of this. I teach my students. This is how you start out with. And then there are places where it's just ridiculous if you do that. So it's it, and maybe is that is that a Chinese thing? That, that that particular thing that you start out with, with with kind of clearly structured rules, and then you tear it all down the way you just. I mean, you just described it beautifully, Michael. And I, I don't think whether it's it medicine or I, I classical think, Chinese, is it for everything? I don't for think cooking? you tear it down. I, I don't think you tear it down. I think there are places where you go, oh, this doesn't fit, or it doesn't have yeah. to fit. There's another way to go about it. I don't think you tear it yeah. all down. It's remodeling. You're just remodeling. You remodel. <laughs> You're remodeling. And it's like... It, Okay, so it's like a recipe where you learn certain ways of you you put these five spices together, but you don't add this other spice. But then when you make this really, really fancy thing, you all of a sudden throw some pomegranates into a into a salty sauce for something um, if you get really fancy. Should we talk a little bit about the favorite angle that you would like to bring up, Sabina, around being chi and exorcism? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a whole other can of worms. I was kind of thinking maybe we need... Okay, really quickly, I would love to hear you both of your 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 take on this because you brought up the being chi thing. So the dangers of the disease chi, just, just the, the practitioner... Patients come to you with bing chi, and where does that, what is this? And and another way maybe to think about it is xie chi, like, mm -hmm. like there's junk yeah. chi, and then there's, so either you you supplement or you you drain the, the, the evil chi. You take, you either, to, to, to restore health, the two main strategies are, if somebody has a, has a, deficient, a depleted state, you bring them up, or if they have too much, if they are a, a place of like the shi and shu thing, so shi, if they have a repletion, an excess of something, you 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 drain that 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 unhealthy stuff. And um where does that go in your in your practice? And I for some reason when you brought it up, I thought about exorcism. Because that's one of the roots of of acupuncture, right? Is that that there was a malefic whatever there was a, there was a presence there was some whether it was a blockage there was some kind of something in, interfered with the healthy flow of chi and you stab the patient or you beat them with peach wood or 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 moxa right artemisia you that all these all these um exorcistic these and it like religious whatever the word is you you use substances to remove pathogenic chi and that 
language in the ancient classics totally like Michael, you immediately was like, no, I don't do exorcism. I'm just a bread and butter kind of practitioner. But I would argue that that it's that's just language. So you can call it bing chi, and then it's nice, clean TCM language, not offensive at all. Um, but the, the issue is still the same. Talking about the, the occupational hazards, that that you are develop a specialization, a reputation for something, you get a lot of patients with the same issue. They all come to you and you're dealing with this issue and somehow this issue at some point zaps you, affects you. Whether it's a buildup of, of unhealthy chi or it's a, it's a spiritual entity, whatever, however you want to think about it. You know where I'm going with this? I'd just love to hear both of your take on this. I'm always interested in language and how maybe we could, how is our way of being in the world, our modern way of being in the world and thinking about what we do, how much is it shaped by language and how much, if we changed the language in which we talk about it, might, how much might we be closer to the way people 2,000 years ago experienced the body and an acupuncture treatment. Mm -hmm. So I can give some really concrete examples. For example, if a patient walks in and they're on the table for a while and you walk in, you immediately feel like you walk into a swamp. Mm. And there are patients that you walk in, the room feels a lot warmer. And there are times when you walk in the room feels drier. And there are sometimes when you walk in, the room feels colder. So what is this? Liu Yin, the six excess. Feng, right? Shi, Zhao, Han, Re. That kind of stuff. So I see that. So whatever that mm -hmm. is in the patient that's being released, it infuses into the atmosphere. I think it corresponds to some, some of it corresponds to uh, the idea of a bacterial cloud. I've heard of it before. In the modern discourse, people talk about the bacterial cloud that one carries with them as they walk around. I thought that was a really interesting notion mm -hmm. because it mm -hmm. does correspond especially to damp people. Right? They have this cloud of not aura, but, you know, things that you can sense with your nose. They're damp. They mm. may be um, older that accompanies them. It has to be because of the ecosystem within their body, right? And then, and depending on, as a practitioner, what type of imbalance I have. Am I a damp person? A damp with a damp is mutual enhancing, but if I'm a drier person, maybe I'm not affected, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm a warm person, then the cold thing is not. Just like you, Sabina, you go mm -hmm. swimming. It doesn't affect you in the cold water. But for some other people, they would just be totally out for a week after being bone-chill water for 10 minutes. Again, yeah, I'm I'm not trying not... to get Michael to go swimming with me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think I tried right? that once. <laughs> 
so the hazard has to be also in be studied in relative to the practitioner's own constitution. Like if I'm so a very how, mentally very yeah. yeah, what do you do to get rid of that? Each is different, just like we prescribe different herbs, formulas. No, I mean in the room. In the room. Then, same thing, same idea. It will never change our principles. If it's damp, you dry it. If it's dry, you moisten it. If it's the cold, room. you warm it. Yeah. If it's hot, you cool it. That never leaves. That is the core of our medicine. Nothing. It doesn't change. Right? Somebody walks in with this really atrocious odor. We try to use some essential oils, some fragrance, to disperse the turbid chi, and most probably will prescribe turbid clearing, turbidity clearing fragrant herbs like huoxiang and things like that mm -hmm. for the patient. The principle is the same inside, outside, up and down. Practitioner, practitioner, uh, clinician, or patient is all the same. To me, that is the spirit of the medicine. It doesn't change. So that's my mm. take. I'd like to hear what Michael has to say. Leo, I really appreciate that take. It it makes tremendous sense. Uh, I'm not. I, I don't know much about essential oils. I've heard about them. Some people use them a lot, but in listening to you, I thought, oh, man, if I, I, I should go out and find five different essential oils now, one that'll, you know, take care of, you know, scatter wind, one that'll deal with damp, one that'll add some heat, one that'll add some cool, and, you know, be able to freshen things up a little bit that way. That's really interesting. Sounds I, like a product line. It, <laughs> I know, I know. Some enterprising person. <laughs> You know, it's not yeah. a bad idea. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, come um, on, you're such an anti-capitalist, Leo. So, no, an anti-capitalist. Oh, Leo is a hardcore anti-capitalist. No, I'm not. I'm anti-colonialism. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> But, well, I'm a capitalist. So. No, okay. So, but you, we've talked a lot about the dangers of of profiteering and and greed and how that affects the practice of medicine and the use of herbs and how how that when it's not done in the way that leads to good results and correct yeah. results. That's yeah. right. When it's done right, is the perfect thing to do. So that's where you know we have to be very careful of using labels especially anti-capitalist, capitalism. I think much more nuanced use of those terms and language needs to be present. Sorry. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, for sure, if you're not able to manage the financial aspect of running a clinic, then you don't get to do the work. So there, there's a certain... Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I see running a business as a kind of cultivation, you know, back in the mm -hmm. old days, they did poetry and calligraphy and whatever. Why not consider your business practices as part of your cultivation as a modern practitioner? You know, right livelihood, mm -hmm. you know, appropriate fees, uh, matching what patients need to, the, to what you give them. All those are good things. And stepping into your power. Having a good life. 
Yeah. Anyway, you you were asking you're asking for a closing thought on that with the with the she at she I'm going to call it. If there's some left around. So often, and this is me in my experience, and maybe this matches up with some all y'all out there listening. I think our emotional attachments can be big, big sources of problems. And so, you know, we're in this business, we're in this trade to, to help folks. Many of us are, I was going to say empathic. Some are empathic. Some are just empathetic. Some are just very good at sympathizing. Oh, I get the feelings that they're having, you know, and we think if we like really grok our patient's feelings, that'll somehow be helpful to them. I would suggest it's probably not. It's good to know what they're feeling, but if we take on those feeling tones and it stays with us, that that's, you don't want to do that. You want to help people. You want to connect with them. And then like taking the extra sketch, turning it upside down, shake, 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 new blank screen. There you go again. Mm. I, I think that's really important to not take on our patient's suffering. Be present with them in their suffering. Help them in their suffering. Do not take it on. It doesn't help them. First of all, it doesn't help them because it's their suffering to resolve, not yours. And secondly, it'll make you sick. Yeah, we talked about that, mm. right, Sabina, mm. in our special Kuan Yin podcast. Mm. Right, we, yeah. we talked yeah. about the, it's like yeah, it's like if you're aiming to be in a bodhisattva, like yeah, I'm I'm the cousin of Avigo Tuskvara. You're kind of asking for trouble. Oh, that's exactly not what what Avalokiteshvara is about. That's what I was trying to point out. That's a misconception. Okay, tell us about again that. in the Western mm. modern modern mm-hmm. prone. Uh, culture the martyr is so important is that i'm saying right martyr the martyr martyr yeah the yes yes okay yes yes that in indic in 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 buddhism that's exactly not it because kuan yin avalkulkeshwara is qian shou qian yin sahasra netra sahasra buddha Meaning she she has infinite number of identities. She's not identified with one thing. She shifts her form according who is in front of her in the moment. She oh, shifts God, and I she love shifts that. and she shifts. So in our podcast earlier, I was telling Sabina about that is the core teaching of Guan Yin because she's so skilled at shifting her identity. She's not attached. She doesn't carry the feeling tone and everybody else baggage with her. The moment she has surfed, she shifts. Oh, I love it. And she also has a thousand arms. So if we're trying to do this and we only have two arms, we're going to burn, burn ourselves. Exactly. We're going to burn out. So if you want to be a bodhisattva, focus on growing Growing wings, growing arms. And those are very specific things in Buddhism. Skillful means. Mm. Yeah. We were a, talking earlier about the Shen level practice. I love this angle. Multiple on our... diagnostic capacities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Ooh. The eye, the eye, mm. the every, in each palm of the thousand mm. arms, every palm there is an eye, an mm. a physical eye, because a thousand perspectives. You're not fixated on one way of doing things, one way of looking at things. Is a panoramic, all-encompassing way. Whatever the sentient being needs, I shall transform myself. Like the the story of Kuan Yin transform into a beautiful woman and marry herself to the demon king, or she became a daughter, she became a son, she became a beggar, she became a king, because to her identity are playthings. Is her lila, her play, her Zhuangzi Xiao Yao Yu in this, in all dimensions. She's a, she's not attached to her identity. You want me to be this to serve this person? Sure. You want me to be up? You want me down? You want me to be desperate? You want me to be instructive? I can be all things. So that's why she's never tired, because she's not bound to the suffering of the. She serves, but she's not hurt by it. She's not. But she bound does not identify. Mm. Right. I the, the love karuna. how we yeah. ended up with. Totally unplanned. I love that we've ended up with Guan Yin in a conversation about occupational hazards. That was a that was a twist that I don't think any of us anticipated, and it's just a really beautiful place. Thank you for that, Leo. I think that's that's spot on. Thanks, friends. That was really a delightful little inquiry. Thank you all. Thank you. Mm. Mm. Thank you everybody for listening.